Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson, and I'm the creator and host of this podcast. And I'm also a homeschooling parent. And I began this podcast because I had questions that I wanted answers to. I had stories I wanted to share and that I wanted to hear from others. I had tough days that I needed a little bit of encouragement from and inspiration. And I also needed inspiration from a broader community that I wanted to connect with as well. All of those questions, am I doing enough? Will my kids learn what they need to learn? Am I offering enough? Am I, am I enough to provide, to teach, to nurture? All those things, am I enough? I had all of those questions that I'm sure many of you had as well. And so I started this podcast to offer those answers, to give that inspiration, and to share those stories. So in this podcast, you'll hear about different styles and methods of homeschooling. You'll hear from homeschoolers, grown homeschoolers themselves, and younger homeschoolers too. You'll hear all about those subjects that seem to really bother and concern many parents, learning math, learning to read. You'll hear about liberation and autonomy, about unschooling, de-schooling, getting into university, about different learning communities and alternatives to school. You'll hear about self-care, about music and play. You'll hear from educators, you'll hear from veteran homeschoolers, and you'll hear from entrepreneurs that either homeschool themselves or have found a way to support homeschoolers in their journey as well. That is all here, plus so much more. So if you're looking for that support, encouragement, and information as well, you can definitely find it here. So I want to give a shout out to my patrons, and especially a special shout out today and thanks to a patron, Deborah Reed. Thank you so much for your support. I truly appreciate it, and I think everyone appreciates it because it helps the podcast to continue. It helps us to produce more episodes and wonderful content. So thank you very, very much. And if you check in, I do have a special offer this summer to patrons. There's a new special download on the guide to game schooling that I'm still working with. And I, I think I probably need a bit of my patrons' help on that too, some ideas they can give me of how it can better help and serve and support you, uh, as well as a few other freebies that'll be coming your way for the summer. So if you are already a patron, you can go into Patreon and check it out. And if you're interested in becoming a member, just go to patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. You can also go to the show notes and it's an easy way to just click on the link and be sent there as well. So I also wanted to talk about and remind you we have a wonderful conference that's coming up, a summit, how to be an awesome homeschooler. And this is also, you can find out more in the show notes, but this Clubhouse Summit is one that Kelly Edwards and I, Kelly Edwards is from the 90-Minute School Day, and you probably remember her episode that was just released. We've been working on this summit, and it's actually the first homeschooling summit to be featured in the Clubhouse app, and we're excited about it. it runs August 6th. It's a support to new homeschoolers, to those that are interested in getting into homeschooling, and also those veteran homeschoolers that need a little bit encouragement, inspiration, and community support as well. So the summit runs on the theme of connection, confidence, and calm. And we have three keynote speakers speaking to each theme. And you might recognize the speakers from this podcast as well. We have Dr. Gina Riley speaking to confidence. She is a professor and educator, and she is a parent to a grown unschooler. We have Demetria Giles speaking to Calm. She as well as is an educator. She's a homeschooling parent and entrepreneur. And we have Rachel Rainbolt. You'll probably remember her from the podcast and from Sage Family. She has a podcast of her own as well. And she's speaking to Connection. So I'm really excited, not only with those keynotes, there'll also be Q&A and discussion with the keynote speakers. And then after, Kelly and I will also be hosting separate rooms to further the discussion and community and do more Q&A with everyone as well. So go to howtobeanawesomehomeschooler.com, or again, you can go to the show notes. There's a link on there and join us. It's free. It's completely free. Clubhouse now just opened the app to everyone. It was a little bit selective before. But now you can go to your phone, download the app, and you'll have access to it all. 
I do want to mention that, yeah, you can go to the summit at any time, but if you register for the summit through the website, then you'll have access to the recordings, to the freebies that we're offering, as well as to the giveaways and downloads and things like that. So I encourage you to register for the summit so you have access to all of that. So now for today's guest, I'm actually, I love this guest. It was such a wonderful interview. Not only is she a wonderful person and so interesting, her work is fascinating, but also so helpful to every, I think, homeschooling parent, to every parent, to every educator as well. So it is Lorea Martinez-Perez. We can call her Dr. Martinez. And we talked about social-emotional learning, and especially around her book, which is called Teaching with the Heart in mind. Her book is fantastic. I really recommend it. Uh, And when we talk about heart, you know, we are talking about those emotions, but her heart, it actually is an acronym for uh, the tools that we can use to better understand ourselves and really transform our life with purpose and knowing where we're coming from and where we're going as well. So we talked about the learning environment And the things that we may not physically see in the learning environment, but that are ever-present and that are fundamental for learning, and that's the emotional environment. So we spoke about the emotions that are conducive to learning, emotional experiences, and the practical tools. She shares some fantastic practical tools for parents that we can use with that, and it's so, so good. This is such a wonderful episode. It really is. And... The beauty of it is it's not, it only just doesn't just apply to our children, but it applies to us as well. And it's really an episode about self-knowledge along with supporting the young ones around us. So I'm excited about that. Dr. Martinez and I, Lorea, and I spoke again, and in the fall, we will be doing a clubhouse room together to talk further on this subject. So you'll get a chance to be part of that discussion. Um, and you'll also, if you listen in, we talked about a possible discussion group on her book as well. So let us know, let me know if you're interested in doing something like that further down the line. So enjoy the episode and be in touch with me. I'd love to hear the feedback, any questions you have and any other information you might need. Well, welcome today. I have Dr. Lorea Martinez joining me on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Dr. Loria Martinez is an educated educator and award-winning founder of Heart in Mind Consulting, a company dedicated to helping schools and organizations integrate SEL, social, social emotional learning, in their practices, products, and learning communities. Dr. Martinez started her career as a special education teacher and administrator. She has worked with children and adults internationally and is a faculty member at Columbia University Teachers College. She has conducted extensive research in the social-emotional learning field, and her book, Teaching with the Heart in Mind, A Complete Educator's Guide to Social-Emotional Learning, is a comprehensive roadmap to understanding the psychology of emotions, relationships, and adversity in learning, while equipping equipping educators and parents to teach SEL, social-emotional learning skills, and develop their own social and emotional intelligence. You can find out more about Dr. Martinez, her book, and her blog on her website, loriamartinez.com, L-O-R-E-A-M-A-R-T-I-N-E-Z.com. So welcome. Thank you for being here. (laughs) So I wanted to first maybe ask for anyone that might not know you, um, or if you're you're new to any listeners, could you maybe talk a little bit about yourself and how you got into the area of education and really supporting children in their whole learning and wellness? Yes, that's that's going to take us back to my high school years. So (laughs) I... Actually, when I was in high school, I volunteered to help uh, women that had immigrated to my hometown in the Costa Brava in Spain from North Africa. And I worked with these women trying to help them uh, to learn Spanish and 
have the tools to have everyday conversations, how to go to, to the store and ask for um, some items, how to have those um, conversations that you need on, on, on a daily basis. And that experience really touched my heart. I saw that there was so much work that could be done to build to, to bridge, build bridges of understanding between the locals and the immigrants that at the time were arriving to my hometown from Africa. And that's when I decided that I wanted to, to do education when I went to college. So I started uh, with special education. That was my field of study at the beginning. But then I expanded that to really focus on social-emotional learning because I saw that there was this gap um, in the way we were supporting students in schools, the focus on academics and really looking at the student achievement um, was a, a place where the academic skills were really emphasized. But with, with my background in special education, I saw that there were all this other set of skills that we were not teaching explicitly to students. And those skills were, in many cases, necessary for students to be able to even access the content and, and have the, the chance to really be successful with their, with their instruction. So I, for my doctoral dissertation, I focused on social-emotional learning and studied uh, teachers' practices at a K-8 school for two years and saw the huge impact that teaching SCL can have on students and also on teachers and how they develop that capacity to look at students from a different lens. Um, and that's why I decided to really dedicate my life to this work. And I, I'm in love with social-emotional learning and believe that it can be a fantastic tool so, to support healthy the healthy development of our children. Yeah, absolutely. And the healthy development of our, our future generations and therefore our world as well. Um, so maybe if you could explain uh, or maybe even give a definition if anyone is unfamiliar what social emotional learning is how do you define social emotional learning yeah so social emotional learning is the process to learn and practice essential social emotional skills and it is a process not only for students, for children, but also for the adults that work with them. So when we look at SCL, we are not only focused on developing these important skills for children, but also looking at how the adults are able to model the skills. So to give some examples of these social-emotional skills, for example, the ability of naming and identifying your emotions, that's part of developing your self-awareness, or having tools to navigate stressful situations, being able to take a pause before you react to um, to something that has triggered you, having those tools, um, all the things around self-management, that's also an area of SCL. The ability to identify and understand the emotions of others, having that empathy, it's another important aspect, developing positive relationships and being able to maintain those relationships, which um, the, the research that has been done on human development and neuroscience shows how important those relationships are uh, to support healthy development, especially for children who have had um, who had experienced trauma growing up. Um, and finally, being able to see yourself as someone with gifts that can that you can be a contributor to the community. So also developing and nurturing a sense of purpose and being able to make ethical decisions in your life. So all of those skills uh, are part of what we consider social emotional learning. Okay. So I, I, you know, I hearing all of this, I think, well, those are important essential life skills for any adult to be a, a strong, healthy adult in every way, emotionally, physically, spiritual, spiritually, mentally, mentally. 
why are we now just coming to understand that this is an important foundation to build for our children, especially? Why, you know, you almost think of it as common sense, right? Relationships are important. Relationships are something, positive relationships and all of those skills that you talked about in our, in a stable, healthy um, life. Why are we just really now starting to um, stress the importance of this? Yes, that's a great question. And I, I think there are several reasons. One is because now the the research in the field of neuroscience has developed exponentially over the last few years. And now we know that the cognitive processing and emotions, emotional processing are not two separate um, things that happen in the brain, but they are actually interconnected and they are interdependent. So Dr. Imordino Yang says, um, who's an effective neuroscientist from the University of Southern California, she says that it's neurobiologically impossible to make decisions, learn new concepts, or focus our attention without emotions. So that really changes the paradigm when we think about teaching and learning. Because if emotions play such an important role in learning, um, what the implication for, for teaching practices, even for parents that are homeschooling, is that we need to bring those emotions into the learning process. And that means we are engaging students and developing their curiosity, and we are paying attention to some of the emotions that come up in the process of learning. And we are helping students to work through those emotions in order to create experiences that are going to be supportive of their learning. So that's one part. The other part, I think, is the realization that if we teach these skills explicitly, students are going to have those tools much earlier than um, we did as as adults, right? I, I remember mm. uh, growing up, I was never taught about SCL. These are things that I would say for the majority of the adults, we have learned by trial and error. And we yes. all come to, <laughs> yeah. the, right? And as a parent, yeah. even more, right? There are so many situations yes. in which you finally realize, oh, wait a minute, I've been doing this thing my whole life and it's not working. And there's a time when you, it finally clicks for you that that strategy or that or the lack of a strategy is not working for you. Then you change and you realize, wow, that really has an impact on my well-being or my ability to connect with my children. So what we are doing with SCL is saying, wait a minute, if these skills are so important, as you were saying, they are common sense that we, we need these skills in order to um, work in groups and be able to ask for a promotion or be really um, have a sense of, of purpose in our lives. If we teach that early, we are um, supporting our children to have you know, such a, a richer development and more opportunities to really go out into the world with the tools they need to navigate a, a, a world that is increasing in complexity as as things change. And, and, um, and we can talk about the, the many reasons why that's happening. But I think it's really equipping the, the kids with those things that we know are important. And, and that's why I think SEL is becoming more relevant because we see that connection and the studies that have been done on SCL show that it impacts um, academic achievement, for example, that it helps with reducing uh, problem behaviors or challenging behaviors, and it increases uh, the a sense of life satisfaction and, and a sense of uh, purpose in students' lives. So the benefits are so big. And now the question is, okay, how can we do that effectively? How can we support children and youth effectively to develop these skills? Right, right. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, when I hear from parents who are just beginning to homeschool, many talk about the first frustration is, you know, like you said, most of us that are adults now, social emotional learning is not something that was 
you know, that was um, offered to us in school or growing up. It was kind of like, you know, just keep your head down, do your work, and then you'll be fine. Follow this path, make sure you get good grades, you know, don't ask too many questions, don't cause major disruptions, and then your path for success will be that much easier kind of thing, right? And your emotions, just tamp them down, especially in the classroom. This is not a place for emotions. Those are those are to be, be kept at the door kind of thing, right? You would hear comments kind of like this. And, and then as we're learning and growing, like you said, the field of neuroscience has just, the amount of research and understanding now has just shifted our perception on how we live life and our choices as well, and, and learning especially. And so many parents that I know are beginning homeschooling even, their first understanding, because, you know, adults who've grown up that way, is to replicate the classroom and, you know, the academic focus of making sure they have their kids complete the math worksheets and are memorizing their times tables as quickly and early as possible and making sure they're reading early so they're not, you know, especially now we hear so much about the gaps in learning and we have to fill in all these gaps and our kids are going to be behind because of COVID and all of these things, you know, and then um, I speak with Veteran homeschoolers are ones that have had a longer time in that process. And, you know, they often say, you know, they're similar. They started out that way. And then because you're with your child so much during the day as well, you get a chance to really build things on a relationship level. And that takes precedence over the academics. And many times what happens is the academics kind of, you know, they the academic side of learning starts to fall into place because the relationship is the focus. And things like a feeling of security um, are, are laid, a feeling of connection and love. So things like for kids trying something out and not, you know, knowing that it's okay to fail or knowing that you have a support system to encourage you and back you up. Um, all of those factors that really support competence and understanding and learning um, that happen. And, you know, really the social emotional learning skills. I, I love how you said, you know, that really the understanding with neuroscience is that the cognitive and our our, cogn part, our cognitive brain and our emotions are interconnected. They're actually like, you know, our fingers that are interwoven with each other. So what are, what are ways as parents and educators that we can be mindful to support this in our home or even in the classroom, wherever, or in our, in our life, in our family life? What are some, some skills or tips that you suggest uh, that we can um, practice and keep in mind? Yes. So I would say that the first thing is to start with yourself. And I know that that's mm. not what <laughs> that's many <so> parents <laughs> and educators want to hear. But the what I have seen uh, time and time again with the years of experience that I have supporting schools and educators and principals with this work is that unless we as adults, we are able to practice and model these skills for the students, for our children, it is very hard that we can teach teach these skills to them authentically. And right. as we are discussing, because we have not been taught um, to have a healthy relationship with our emotions, there is some unpacking and unlearning that needs to happen at the adult level before you can even engage the child. Um, and some of the work that I do with educators is to look at emotions as not enemies, but actually allies. And we see feelings as information, as data that you have in order to make better decisions in your life. So emo emotions are a conversation from you to you. So your body is telling you that something is happening. Maybe there's a trigger or maybe there's a perception of threat um, that it's, it's taking place. And the way in which we relate to that information is very important to build, to use that data in order to make decisions and to make it part of our lives. Um, and again, many of us, as you were describing earlier, we have been taught, well, once you go into the classroom, you have to leave your emotions outside the door. So there is this unpacking that needs to happen first. 
And from my own experience as a parent, I know that when I have a conflict with my children, I have two girls, a six-year-old and a nine-year-old, I would say 80% of the time, the issue is not with them, it's with me. Is how I'm responding to the the situation that we are handling, right? So if we yes. can start with the adult in 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 building their their capacity to um, understand their emotions, to come to conflict from a place of calm as much as we can, right? We we know this is a process, right? It's not that we do one thing and we are done. This is a lifelong process of really developing. Um, our our capacity to be compassionate and 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 patient uh, human beings, and I think that through that process, what happens is that you realize that you can find also your voice as an adult, that you are feeling more confident because you are not being driven by your emotions, but you are actually able to manage them and cope with them in healthy ways. So back to your question of like what what can educators and parents do, I would say that the first thing is to work with yourself, to look at those skills and to try to practice on a regular basis. Um, and, and then once you, you feel like you have that, invite your children along to do it with you. And I can tell you my children go to a school where SCL is embedded in the curriculum and they they have explicit instruction of SCL. And there are times that if I get really upset, they my children will come to me and say, oh, mom, it, it, it seems like you should take a, a few deep breaths to calm down, mm-hmm. right? So you have that feedback loop of saying, oh, yes, if we use the breath as a calming tool, I, I'm going to need that as well. Right. And the same way that we parents might say that to our children, I feel like it, it really creates a nice place where there is an acknowledgement that we have these emotions and it is okay to have them, but it's how we respond to our emotions that really makes a difference in our relationships uh, with others, but also in the relationship with ourselves. Mm, absolutely. Okay. Practicing going into ourselves, um, learning more about ourselves, acknowledging our emotions, and as we're doing that, learning to understand our our places where emotions take us, our fears, and and how we sit with our emotions, and then modeling that, and then we can bring our children into that. Um, they can see us using it and modeling it. They can practice it themselves. And then I, how I see it as you're talking about it as a circle, talking about your daughters, how they recognize a point for you where there's a bit of stress or frustration, and they say, "Mom, maybe now like taking a few deep breaths might be good to to help you or to calm you." And how it's the it's become the full circle. So it's a constant reminder, the you know that center in the home where all things come out of. I, you know, that was really really clear. That's a, an important practice, an empowering practice in that. So I know you also, um, in your book, you had described a lot of the practice and process. And, and I really I like how you had talked about that. It's not the, you know, this is who we need to be, or this is where we need to be. This is the goal. This is the kind of person you need to be. It's the process of how we understand where we are and where we're going and how to get there. Uh, and which I think is a very big different shift of it used to be this is, you know, the far off goal of who you're trying to achieve or get to. Uh, and and the process, like you said, it's a lifelong process and journey that we're conti- continually practicing. Um, you had your your um, your analogy, your 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 framework is the heart framework. And I really like the heart framework and how you you uh, classify that. Could you talk a little bit about that as well and what heart stands for and how it's a great foundation for understanding that lifelong practice of social-emotional learning? Yeah, so HEART um, is an acronym that uh, stands for Five Essential Social-Emotional Skills. So the H stands for honor your emotions, and it's about naming, interpreting, and being able to identify your emotions on a regular basis. The E stands for elect 
your responses. And that's the tools and strategies that we have to, to manage not only our behavior, but also how we talk to ourselves, our thought patterns, and also what are some of the, what are the patterns that we have when it comes to emotions as well. The A stands for apply empathy. And empathy, as, as probably your listeners know, is this capacity to understand and connect with the emotions of others. In my model, apply empathy also includes self-empathy. And I've noticed over the years working with educators, and I think this is true also for parents, where we are inclined to show empathy for our children. But when it comes to turning that mirror and applying that compassion to ourselves, it's very hard. Like if you make mm. a mistake as a parent or you have a, not that positive interaction with your child or maybe you give you know, a, a harsh response or you hurt them in some way because of your behavior or your words, um, showing yourself compassion because you're a human being and you made a mistake is very hard. So it is important um, in this model to cultivate not only being able to show empathy and compassion for others, but also for ourselves. Um, then we move to the R, and the R stands for reignite your relationships. And reignite, I, I purposefully uh, chose this verb because I see relationships as um, this fire that you want to maintain burning. And there are some times where there are certain relationships that are come easy to us, depending on if there's a good chemistry with someone or if they have similar values or similar uh, perspectives or points of view. But establishing positive relationships also means that we are able to build those bridges uh, of understanding with others that may have different opinions or they might have a different perspective. And there are times when we'll have to, you know, find some more Kindle and, and really make sure that we have enough wood for that relationship to, to take off. Um, and finally, the T stands for transform with purpose. And for me, this is probably the one of the most important skills in this model, because when we have a sense of purpose, we see ourselves as contributing to our local and our global communities. We have this sense of collective responsibility where um, even if I'm doing well, if my neighbor is not doing well, well, I, there's something that I, I should be doing to support people that might not be in my same situation. So it's this idea of cultivating a sense that we are helpers, that we can be uh, also change makers in our communities and do things that are beyond ourselves. And I think that that, that uh, skill is so important for us as adults to have a guiding light, but also when thinking about our children and teaching them what are the those important lessons that we want them to take away, right? And, and to be able to nurture that compassion and that solidarity with others that may not be in, our, in the same situation that we are, I think is very important to create a better future for, for, the, for our future generations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I and I think it's really beneficial and powerful now for our times when it seems that there is a lot of disagreement and, um, you know, you're talking about building bridges still with those that have different opinions and objectives than us. And how are we still able to carry forward and all of that? And I think that's especially accentuated now in our times uh, with our with COVID and shutdowns that has been happening, um, political shifts and changes. And, you know, so much of that is at the forefront. I, it's a huge skill for us going forward to be able to um, – to manage or to understand and to practice and exercise as well. It's really, really important. So when we are, if we're breaking down heart, and I love it because it is, it, that's so clear. If we start, say, with the H and talking about honoring your emotions and not only that, um, naming and interpreting that, um, if maybe we could go through an example, uh, if we're a parent at home with their kids and there is a highly emotional situation, uh, maybe we're both feeling 
angry about something that happened, how could we start for going through the heart process? Could you maybe walk us through an example? Um, first, starting with H, honoring our emotions. Would we first recognize, is that when we were talking about taking the deep breaths and pausing and recognizing that we're feeling angry or even fearful? Um, would we say that out loud? Would we express that? What would you recommend in a situation like that? Yes, that's that's a great question. So naming the emotion, just the, the simple thing of saying, wow, I'm so upset right now, it actually um, decreases the amount, it, it creates that pause that decreases the amount of energy and, and, and emotion that our body is producing. And Dr. Dan Siegel, who's the author of uh, The Whole Child. Parenting, uh, yeah, Parenting yes, from the Inside Out. Or yes, Parenting yes. from the Inside Out, that's another of his books. Uh, one of the things that he says is name it to tame it. And that means yeah. that when we are t naming our emotions, we are able to manage them. We are able to navigate them. Uh, so that is the very first step. And that can uh, take the shape of saying it out loud and sharing with our child. Um, or it can be an internal note that we are noticing that our um the intensity of our emotions are increasing, right? So if we have that that internal thermometer, if you think about emotions as a thermometer, it's it's kind of like, well, if our emotions are getting really high, we need to do something to bring that temperature down, right? Like at the same that if you are, you know, if you are sick and you have a fever, you're trying to bring that temperature down to a, a normal level. The same we do with our emotions, right? You you want to maintain it in a place where you are still feeling in control of your of your behavior, right? And that's a place that we can teach our children as well. Okay, it feel and and give that feedback to the child of it feels like or it seems like you are. Um, you know that you are not so much in control of your behavior. Let's let's take care of the emotion first. Um, so that is the very first step: is naming naming that emotion. Um, the second step would be to take that pause, and sometimes that comes first, depending on how triggered we are. Right? Sometimes uh, what I've noticed with with my own kids. Sometimes we cannot have that conversation in the moment. We need to go away from each other. Yeah, and create then come space. Back, yeah, right. We need <laughs> yeah, to take that would our be me for sure. Yes, yeah. We I, I call it not not time out, but time in, right? Yes. So <laughs> yes. so you go take your time in, and then you you can come together, especially if it's a conflict between the parent and the child, right? So take that pause, and and then again, as you were saying, we this is a. a a matter of finding what are the tools that work for you as an individual and what are the tools that work for your child. So with self-management, there are many things that you can do sometimes, you know, distracting your brain or taking a breath, doing a, a quick walk, or maybe doing some calming activity, something that works for you. Um, maybe, you know, the best, you, you choose what works for you. Then coming to the apply empathy, this is an important one because when we are in a situation where we are feeling triggered, it's going to be really difficult that we are able to apply our empathy, that we are able to understand where the child is coming from. And in any relationship, when there's the adult and the child, of course, there's a, there's a power mismatch, right? The adult is generally in charge. And, and the child in the situation has less power. So we need to think about that and how we are exercising that power and, and being able to realize that for situations that maybe as an adult, they seem very small, they may feel and, and the child may have the experience that they are very important to them and they may have a tantrum for something that doesn't seem that important to you. Right. So the right. apply empathy, what it does is it helps us see the situation from the child's perspective. Um, then coming to the relationships. Right. We want as parents to maintain that connection. So I think that the reminder with the R in the heart is to really 
do things to solve the situation that is not going to damage that relationship, right? Is the idea of, well, there is some accountability, but at the same time, um, you want to make sure that that connection stays untouched, right? That you are still able to uh, build that bridge with your child, even if you are having a conflict. And then the T in Transform with Purpose, this is where you ask, what is it that you really want in that situation? And when we are triggered, sometimes because our bodies perceive that we are under threat, we our instinct might be to fight back, right? And that's mm-hmm. when we give those harsh responses or we may yell at the kids or we may... Um, you know, take away some some privilege or, 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 you know, screen time or whatever you use, you know, sometimes to, to take away from the child. But is that is that what we really want, right? So asking that question, I think that puts the whole situation in perspective. Um, and I think that if we had that question going through our day, on a daily basis, we would pick our fights a lot more. Right, And we yeah, will let go of a lot of things because they are not as important. But in certain times, I think that we as parents, we, there are, we have these ideas about how things should be. Um, and we lose, we lose sight of what's that connection and why that's important to, to the life of the family. Right. Yeah. And I know even like speaking for myself, I know many times, um, you know, say something else in my, even my work or something else will happen that upsets me or frustrates me. And if I'm not processing that completely, if I'm not doing the same, if I'm not honoring my emotions and really naming, interpreting how I'm feeling and then reflecting my responses and applying empathy to myself and trying to maybe repair a relationship in that arena and reignite a relationship and then transform with purpose, what happens then is I bring that into my home with my relationship with my family and kids. So maybe even if it's not a huge thing and something happens, but then, you know, they, you know, maybe one of my kids does something or they're upset with something and I'm already um, at my temperature is already high. (laughs) I I like how you said it's like, you know, the temperature, we have to bring the temperature down and it's like a a reaction, right? And it's actually Mm -hmm. not even about my kids or what they did or what they said. It's totally about me (laughs) and how I've reacted to something else and then bring it into that. So I definitely understand that, you know, the power of that and also how you're talking about the importance of, um, in, in the last, the T, you know, what is it that you really want? Um, yeah, you know, why, you know, what what is, you know, many times, yeah, a parent, I guess, feels threatened in other ways, or maybe if even in their role somehow, something else feels threatening. And then it's like we're lashing out as well too, right? It's right. Um, that, yeah, that, that practice of, Ah, breathing and, and acknowledging and knowing where we're at and then um, coming to that relationship with our kids on a different playing field for sure. And uh, also, yeah, recognizing them and what may be small for us could be hugely impactful for them and we just don't see it at the time. Uh, absolutely. I understand that for sure. And And then they're not validated and then they react to it. So it's a, it's interesting understanding that ongoing cycle of how if we don't pause and, and stop and reflect on those things, it just kind of keeps going, right? Like that tornado <laughs> that just keeps moving all around the area and picking up houses and things and throwing them all over the place, leaving a bit of a, a scattered uh, destruction really in so many ways. Right. And, and the other thing is that our children learn from our the ways in which we behave, even yes. if we are not intentionally modeling them, modeling those things for them. Right. So our kids watch us all the time and they learn from it. So if we don't pay attention to how we are handling our emotions, how we handle conflict, um, what we do when we come back from work and, and we are still thinking about something that happened and maybe you had a conflict with your boss or with a, with an employee and we lash out to our children, they learn that that behavior is okay. 
Right. And they will yes. reproduce that in their own families, right? So right. The, the responsibility that we have as parents is really big. And I'm not talking about being perfect. This is not about have being 100% all the time. That's not possible. It's, a, it's an impossible goal. The goal is to do the best that we can. And when we make mistakes, acknowledge that that was not okay. I have had, the, I would say, the most powerful interactions with my children when I've been able to say, you know what, I, I really didn't do a good job when I said this hurtful thing or when I responded to your request in this way. And my children will tell me back, you know what, mom, that's okay. We all make mistakes. Right. Yeah. To have that, that relationship where we can really acknowledge our humanity and the fact that we are not perfect, that we will make mistakes in our parenting, but come to it with vulnerability and with the courage to say, hey, I made a mistake and acknowledge it and own it with your own children. That teaches to them that it's okay to make mistakes and that it's and that it's okay to acknowledge when that happens, right? So it, it really creates a nice bonding where that that it can be a common thing in your household where mistakes are acknowledged and, and of course, you know, you don't do these things on purpose. Things just happen, uh, even sometimes when you are trying your best, but just acknowledging and creating that space for that conversation can be a, a very powerful process to bond with your children. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the power of, yeah, that once you m- make a mistake, it's not all over. There's still a forward path and a positive forward path in the way that we model that. Yeah, yeah, on so many levels, absolutely. And then I can also see how not only on the emotional connection level, I mean, well, that's the foundation of it, and then a, a, a how you talk about, you know, our neurons, they, how they are connected or almost overlap with our cognitive abilities and our emotions, how they, we, through neuroscience, we understand now the connection between that, that it's not just cognitive abilities, you know, the, the, they have to work as partners, essentially. So when our kids are in that learning process, if you want to even call it, an, you know, the academic side or the, that schooly side of things, how then is the process of the practice of our, our, our heart skills, how does that solidify their learning or help with their learning as well? Yeah, so th- there are a couple of things. One is the fact that there are certain emotions that are more conducive to learning than others. And to provide an example, curiosity, for example, is a great place to start. And I think that's that's a place where homeschoolers have it down because many parents that I know are uh, homeschool, they do a lot of project-based learning, what we would call mm-hmm. in schools project-based learning, or where they are supporting their children to follow their interests and to learn through to learn the math, the science, the the reading, the writing, everything that they need to do in academics, but it's driven by their interest. And that's something that is going to be conducive to deeper learning because the brain doesn't pay attention to things that are that we don't care about. That is just our brain being efficient, right? If if this is not important to me, my brain is not going to pay attention. So when we are leading our learning processes and our and our teaching, even if it's at home, from that place of curiosity, student uh, children are going to be more motivated. They are going to be more willing to um, maybe do some of the structure that you are suggesting because they they know that they are learning something they want to learn. So they are going to have that intrinsic motivation, that intrinsic drive to really go deeper into that topic. So that's one thing. On the other side, uh, stress and fear, for example, are emotions that will shut down the brain for learning. And uh, hopefully parents that are homeschooling are able to manage that better than in schools. But in schools, uh, many times educators 
if students ask, oh, why is this important? Or why are we doing this again? They will say things like, oh, this is going to be on the test. Right, so they are yeah. <laughs> teaching yeah. by by creating that um, in a way unnecessary stress or or fear if the child is frightened because maybe there's a consequence at home if they don't pass the test or maybe they that's they are gonna miss their graduation or of course there are you know bigger implications for for our for the assessments and the things that we need to go through, uh, but if that is the only place where where learning tends to, or where that is the environment that is created, um, that the brain is not set up for success because when we are in a state of high stress or high fear, our brain is trying to protect us um, and the brain is not open for, for learning. We can remember information. We can learn new concepts. So a uh, uh, certain amount of stress is positive and it will increase our performance. Uh, but when the stress level is too high, that is, um, you know, it will really hinder our ability to be ready. So I think that that as, as parents homeschooling, you can think about, well, what is the emotional environment that I'm creating at home? And is that environment conducive to learning, right? So So really paying attention to what are the emotions that um, our children are bringing when when we are starting our our day, and also what are the emotions that are being uh, experienced as we are going through through our learning day, right? And it doesn't mean that the the adult is completely responsible for the emotions of the child, but that you are actually intentionally looking at the activities and and how you organize your day with emotions in mind. It's kind of like putting a different lens to how you are thinking about the the teaching and learning process. Yeah, a very different lens. Instead of filling it with all of those lists of to-do and what we have to get finished, when you frame it or plan it or think ahead with the framework of the emotions involved, it creates, like for me, when I, I think about the differences, it creates a very different day. Uh A day of feeling like rush and pressure and let's get this finished and then get this accomplished. And, you know, sometimes too much, the overwhelm, which then can be frustration and anger, as opposed to slowing down, um, being in communication, connecting, uh, like you said uh, as well, focusing on the curiosities, the Uh engagement. And then it's, you know, the flow is just a lot more natural and peaceful as well. Right, right. Yeah, and, and the other aspect is that um, when we have different experiences, we collect um, memories, emotional memories of what happens. And I don't know if you watch Inside Out, the movie, but that yes, is a great yes. example <laughs> of how you you collect these emotional, these memories of the experiences that you have in your life. So for a child, for example, who has a hard time with math and math is a, is a, and I know this is true for many families where um, you, you are trying to help your child with, with math, solving math problems. And the child is completely stuck, melts down, feels completely overwhelmed. And um, also they don't want your help. Right. So there is all those dynamics that happen. And, in those situations, the the child the child's experience is not neutral. So when there is a, an association of a certain experience with certain emotions, that becomes this memory in the child's brain. So I, in a way, if we have uh, children that certain things are difficult or they feel stuck, it is important to on, on uh, a small doses, be able to change that experience and to change those memories by increasing their ability to be successful, even if it's in small increments, right? So we are building the confidence and we are changing those associations that happen in the brain, in the child's brain. Um, and that means that we are supporting the child uh, not only to solve that, those math problems, but also what are some of the strategies that are more on the social-emotional learning side in order to get yourself in a, in a position where 
your brain is actually open to be able to solve the math problem, right? Because if we know, if you have an emotional roadblock, you're not going to be able to do the, the academic part of the, of the work. Right. Absolutely. And that's how it affects even, you know, think of adults that, you know, the, the big math anxiety, the math trauma that many adults carry still to this day, the experience with math is always a negative one. So trying to support their kids or help their kids in that subject does not bring neutral emotions. <laughs> it brings back, like you said, those, those emotional experiences and emotional memories that are not positive in that way. So... Yeah, yeah you, you, we see it. We see it playing out for a very long time as well. Yeah, it's important. So I would uh, still, I would still like to be respectful of our time. And I know you have, you have your family and things happening at home as well too, and and with your work. Uh, so I would also like to just give a chance before we before we complete this episode for you to talk about, um, because we talked a lot about the heart, the heart skills, which you do talk about in your book, which I'm really enjoying. I'm reading it right now. I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to being done. Um, your book, Teaching with the Heart and Mind, A Complete Educator's Guide to Social and Emotional Learning. I really like how it's actually very pra- practical and how you, you give specific, not only stories and examples, but tools that we can use in everyday life and for teachers and educators in the classroom or at home as well. Um, if we would like to find out more about this book and your work as well, could you tell us where to find you and um, and how we can reach out? Yes. So um, your audience can go to my website. It's loreamartinez.com. And I have been writing a blog for many years, so there is a ton of information around SCL. And normally I provide practical strategies in all my writing so people have something that they can do uh, when they read a post. So a ton of practical information there. And the book is currently available on most uh, major book retailers, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, it just came out last week as an audiobook, so it is oh, uh, also available that way. And I'm the narrator of the book, which was a very fun process. So for those of yeah. you who um, <laughs> like to listen to a book, I know that that works for many parents that are super busy during the day, but they can uh, listen to books as they are going for a walk or commuting to work. So that's an option there. Uh, and then I'm on social media for those of you who like that. I'm on Facebook at Lorea Martinez SCL and then also on Twitter at Lorea Mart. Okay, perfect. And what I'll do is I'll add those all to the show notes as well. So you can also just anyone's listening can go to the show notes and just click on those links. I'll make sure that they're provided. So it makes it also easy for everyone too to access you. So before we, we, we go, maybe I, if you could give a little bit of advice that you would offer to parents in the home that are interested in creating and supporting uh, learning environments that are centered on social-emotional learning or centered on the heart skills. Um, are there any that, that you haven't mentioned that you would like to share with parents uh, and leave us off with that they can go forward in their day and think about and look at their home and environment and, and how they can better support that for themselves and their children. Yes, I think that uh, probably two things that we have discussed, but just to leave you with those is the importance of relationships. And I think that the relationship with our children is probably one of the most important relationships we'll have in our lives. Um and if you are able to just lead with that and thinking about how you want to feel in that relationship, how you want your child to feel in that relationship, it's so important. And it's how it's going to impact not only how the child is with you, but also how they are in the world. I think that having that strong foundation and that attachment with, with their parents it just sets up that that nice grounding for becoming healthy adults and, and contributing uh, citizens in society. So if you do only one thing, 
just nurture that that relationship with your child i think that that can be a great place to be mm, absolutely and it's a like you said the daily practice and daily process of of that as well it's not we've got it all down now now after we listen to this this week i'm going to get it all and it's going to be good forever <laughs> it's an ongoing process that we ourselves need to you know also practice a relationship with ourselves to model that to go forward yes well, I really appreciate you taking the time to connect with me. Uh, you know, this is one of the topics that I feel like even each portion we could dive into on its own episode. <laughs> yes. Actually, I feel like we just kind of skimmed the the surface a bit, but each it has there's so much um, not only even practical tools, but also deep meaning for each part of it, you know, building that emotional connection and relationships, the importance of that in our learning and cognitive skills, but in our everyday, how laying that out is going to affect our future world, even, uh, you know, for trauma as well, right? Trauma-informed education. I know many are trying to see how we can further implement it in our community and schools, which is extremely impactful for our day and future right now as well. Um, and, you know, how, how even in our world of, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color, how that affects for, for learning and education and the social-emotional learning tools that are so important. Um, you know, we see a growing community of homeschoolers that have felt those effects and therefore have chosen to homeschool so that they can better support those foundations for their children at home um, and not repeat um, those feelings and history in many ways within the school. So, yeah, I feel like there's so many <laughs> topics that we can cover and dive into, and I'd love to have you back if you're if you're welcome to you're welcome to come back if you're open to that and, and talking more about those things as well. Yeah, I, I would love that. And, and I wanted to add that we cannot do this work by ourselves. So yes. I, I, we Thank need you. to do this work as a community. And what a better way to, you know, bring parents together. Um, I was just reminded that yesterday I released a discussion guide for the book So another option for parents who want to dive deeper into social-emotional learning would be to come together with other parents that are homeschooling, Mm -hmm. buy the book, and read it together so they can discuss what are the implications for their families, how they see themselves applying the skills, but to do it in an environment where it's not you talking with your spouse or your significant other, uh, but having a community of parents that want to do this work together. That's also a wonderful option uh, to do the work and do it in community so we can support each other to be to be better and do better uh, for ourselves and for our children. Yes, I love that. Absolutely, I love that. And that extends even further. And is that, can we find that on your website? Do you have that available right now as well? Yeah, so the discussion guide is available on my website. Um, Again, it's Lorea Martinez uh, resources. And it's a free download where you just enter your email address and then you receive an email with the resource. Um, And it even has like a suggested structure for how to do a book study on on the on teaching with the heart in mind. So there is min, min, what I'm hoping is that people have minimal preparation. They can just use the guide, come together with a group, and really be on their way to to better better SEL. Okay, that is fantastic. I'm definitely going to check that out. Thank you so much, Lorea. I, actually, I, one other question. Is your book available in Spanish or any other languages right now? Thank you for asking. So not yet, but it is currently being translated into Spanish. So I'm okay. hoping that it will be available, I would say, in the fall, fall winter, um, the Spanish version will be available which I'm really excited because, as you know, Spanish is my first language. Your first language, yes. So being (laughs) able to share with, um, you know, with my community back in Spain and, of course, with uh, people in Central America, South America, it it means a lot to me. So I'm excited for that uh, next, next step in the journey. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know I have listeners that Spanish is their first language as well, and they would be absolutely interested in having the book in Spanish. So um, I'll definitely keep a note of that and and uh, let me know when it is released. And I can also help share that with others too that are looking for that. So Great. Thank you. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I love this conversation. I love the book. I'm going to look at the discussion group and then possibly listeners let me know if maybe we can put something together then to have a Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids discussion group uh, on the book as well. Uh, gather a small community to, to go through that together. So um, if you're listening and you're interested, reach out to me, either direct message me on social media or email, and uh, we can go forward with ideas with that. So thank you so much, Dr. Martinez. I appreciate you being here. I, I learned a lot and it, I know it will only enhance our lives and families going forward. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Robin, for having me and for all your contributions to supporting parents that are homeschooling. Your work is wonderful and I'm, I'm grateful you are doing all of that. Thank you. I think we both want to make the world a better place as much as we can with our individual efforts. So thank you very much. Appreciate it.